You're listening to the Pullbox Podcast, the international graphic novel book club. Here are your hosts, Curtis Finley and Michael Cohen. Welcome, this is the Pullbox Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Finley. And I am your other host, Michael Cohen. And today we're going to be looking at Road to Perdition, um, IDW's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Volume 1, Changes Constant, and Powers, Who Killed Retro Girl. Uh, first up is Road to Perdition, and yes. which is most well known by, by the general public by the, uh, the movie adaptation starring Tom Hanks. Yeah. Um, so, um, actually, before we dive into, in, dive into the comics, I just wanted to take, make a little quick note about All New X-Men that we talked about in the last episode. Yeah. Um, because I've been reading more of it now. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to just say that um, I made a comment about how X-Men has kind of changed its focus from being that uh, a lot about, um, not about race anymore, kind of the race issue, mm-hmm. um, but more about survival. But there was a, that great speech that Havoc does because he's now part of Avengers. Yeah. Um, where he addresses everybody about mutant racism and i thought that was it, it was just a really really nice way to kind of bring it back into focus yeah. and and get things back right into right up to that's the volume that just came out and uh the he he refers to it as the m word yeah the m word exactly is the m word which i think is a really cool shift in the marvel universe mm-hmm. for how some people are going to consider mutants and it's um it's interesting because they're right now they're actually i don't know if it started or if they're gearing up for it but uh, they're they're doing a story. I think it's called World with No Humans or something like that. Like it's a it's a an alternate future or Elseworlds type thing. Elseworlds is DC technically, but um, sort of alternate universe of uh, what if there were no humans? What if the whole planet was was inhabited by mutants? And uh, I, I don't know. I think that'll be an interesting. It'll be interesting to see those those two ideas coming together. But. I'm I'm loving all new X Men as it keeps going, uh, so I'm I'm glad to hear that you're also uh, also enjoying it and that I got you on yeah. on board that train. Well, and I had to fun. I had to track a couple of volumes down from the library so I could keep on going. So I've yeah. read um, I think I've read pa- uh, past battle battle of the atom, I think. Okay. I read some single issues as well that um, that I borrowed as well. So I don't know can't remember which was the last thing i read that was like a month ago because i got in i got jazzed yeah. because of the podcast and then um binge read a little bit and then so i haven't read very much since but anyway cool. let's uh let's get on with the, yeah, yeah. The let's podcast jump into, uh, into road to perdition road to perdition so this book a little bit of history here um max allen collins who wrote the book um is big into crime fiction yeah that's kind of his main thing and he was um, Chester Gold's assistant on Dick Tracy for decades. And okay. then when, Ch- when Chester Gold retired uh, in the 70s, Max Allen Collins took over as head writer. So he, and then he also has done um, dozens upon dozens of crime noir fiction, uh, like prose novels. Okay. And so he really knows his stuff, and he's done a lot of research hmm. to make sure they're accurate. And he always, uh, not always, but often uses real people like he does in this book Al Capone and stuff yeah. um, and, and places to to create his setting in his world so it's like they're fiction but they could totally exist um, back in that yeah. era and so this is um, one of his few 
forays into into graphic novels and um i i i like it i think it's a great book um mm. i there's a, there's a lot going for it and um yeah and i was it's happy to to share it with you so i'd love to hear some of your thoughts yeah, on it i yeah well you say graphic novel and this is one of those books that really actually fits into that uh that format uh, a lot of the time what we're talking about when we say graphic novel is actually trade paperback right which is a collection of issues uh completing a storyline more or less right? That, right that's usually what what we're talking about when we say graphic novel these days but uh, but Road to Perdition is is a legitimate graphic novel in in its format and the way that it reads. Um, well, technically speaking, this was serialized yeah, before yeah, it was yeah, collected. Yeah. So. Um, just in the way, but just in like the way that it that it reads and the right. way it, the way that right. it works, like uh, it's it's basically I think three chapters. Yeah. Um, and those three chapters are are kind of the three acts of the story. Um, right. I, I loved it. I it, it actually, uh, if Turtles wasn't in this month's uh, uh, lineup, then it, it probably would have been my favorite of the three that oh, we, that we read. You're just um, biased. Cause it's oh Turtles. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, like that's why I say if Turtles wasn't like there, nobody can compete with Ninja Turtles when Ninja Turtles is good. We'll get to that. But, yeah, right. Um, yeah the uh, the the writing is is excellent. Um, it. It's actually in stark contrast to uh, to to one other book that we'll talk about, Powers. It's very minimal. Um, I'm sure that the scripts were very lengthy, uh, but the dialogue is is scarce and only what's absolutely necessary. Which uh, I haven't seen the movie yet. You you lent me the movie, but I didn't get around to watching it. Um, but I'm sure that that that. Um, that sort of reined in writing style lent itself well to a screenplay adaptation because comic books tend to be very wordy um, and it's nice whenever once in a while you can you find an, an author paired up with an artist who can they can balance those two things so they can pull back on the wordiness because a lot of writers want to just flood the page with ridiculous monologues and can, can we say Brian Michael Bendis yeah. and uh, and then uh, artists want splash page after splash page but what we get with Road to Perdition is this beautiful uh, synergy between those two things and and those two artists are they're, they're totally in sync throughout the entire book uh, it, it just what you see on the page informs what the characters are talking about and uh and and it's it's noir at its best i think like this is it's in the it's in the proper time period it's uh visually it's it's noir through and through um there's even there's a lot of actual cinematic stuff uh coming from a film school background and noir being one of my favorite genres uh it there's a lot of things that pretend to be noir that that really miss the mark or are uh overwrought so like i'll point at sin city as one of the worst offenders of of, <laughs> of uh just sort of taking the noir brush and painting in very broad strokes and not really understanding the the models of that that genre and then the conventions of the genre right uh but with this book it it hits it perfectly the the fact that it's narrated uh by one of the characters is a convention of the genre 
the uh, the lighting and the mood is definitely there. There are moments in it where even though there's no technical lighting because it's a comic, you you see things like uh, like uh, you, uh, eye light is is a really big convention of, of film noir, mm-hmm. and uh, and the, the it's used really well and really subtle ways where you really have to know what you're looking for to catch it, uh, and it's all in sort of that that crosshatch shading. That uh, sorry, what's the artist's name? Um, this is Richard Pierce Rayner. Yeah, so he just uh, he he pulls off that that crosshatching, which is a very hard. It's a difficult art style to uh, to to really nail, and and he does it. He does it really well with, uh, and he switches back and forth because he also does kind of almost this um, uh, lithographic sort of like lined. Uh, shading from time to time, and then he'll throw in the cross hatches and, and just all sort of really cool things to add depth and emotion and, and mood. Yeah. Um, so it's... some interesting things about him is that um, I this is the only work that I know of his, and mm-hmm. I, he doesn't he hasn't done a whole lot more. Uh, so I looked him up online, and he does a lot of uh, photo reference. Like you can tell, yeah. these are photographs. Um, some of the pictures are even repeated uh, throughout the book, and. Um, but um yeah but his art style changes throughout and it does yeah it says in the back of the book that this book took four years yeah to make and he obviously started experimenting on in different styles and different yeah. techniques and you can tell because at the beginning of the book he is very is very loose the cross hatching is minimal he he almost favors more squiggle squiggle yeah. line broader yeah. lines to uh to do that and then you get further into the book and then you get much more photorealistic kind of looking um pictures and drawings and he throws in his his style in there a little bit here and there but um yeah it it's uh it's quite drastic actually to change from the beginning to the end yeah but you you don't notice it as you're reading because it's a gradual progression Uh, it's only when you look back it's another interesting thing uh you read it at the at the back of the book i the the author and the artist never read and never met while they were working on the project over the course of like you said four four years years. and that to me is incredible that's something that only happens in comics i think and this was in the 90s too Mm -hmm. so this was before um you could be so easily connected online and such because i remember reading an article with when the ultimates came out with brian hitch and mark miller saying that they never talked to each other either because they're on different continents yeah um but much easier to do nowadays sure. with email and you can you scan in and, and send art artwork through dropbox or whatever and or yeah. online servers and stuff and so it's easy to share that but it would have been much more of an ordeal to do that back then so oh, yeah absolutely um, max allen collins this is an interesting aside he uh he's from iowa and this book takes place in iowa hmm. um and chicago and so there is um there's a bookstore that i uh, my my wife is from Iowa, okay. so we go back there to visit uh, every holiday season, and I like to peruse the bookstores and stuff, and especially in a town that I don't go to very often. So I happened to stumble into a bookstore there, and it was just loaded with Max Allen Collins books. Like okay. there was a whole wall dedicated to all of his stuff, and you look in there, and they're all they're all signed by him because apparently he's uh, he's a regular visitor to that area and goes to that bookstore a lot and. And this, I didn't buy this book there, but I bought it at a, um, at a, 
uh, secondhand store in Iowa, and it's actually signed by him, too, right on the front there. Oh, wow. Yeah. I got it for two bucks, but uh, so that's pretty good. Yeah. Not bad at all. <laughs> yeah, that's not too shabby. Um, okay, so one of the things that I really like about this book mm-hmm. is that it's a father-son team. Yes. And that dynamic plays really heavy um, uh, in, in when I read books mm-hmm. because I'm a father. Yeah. And so if I'm trying to put myself into the position of Michael Sr., um, it's what what would I do in order to keep my family safe? Yeah. And it was uh, is really interesting. And my, Michael Sr. is actually kind of a non-character through this through the, the book. Mm-hmm. He's very serious and stoic and unchanging, um, except for the one scene that Michael Jr. points out when when he's learning to drive and he almost he says, "I've never seen my father turn white like that" or something like yeah, that, right? Yeah. Um, so the the story really focuses on Michael Jr. and this is this his coming of age, yeah, kind of really abruptly and suddenly, um, and how he uh, views his father and, and learns about the world that his father is part of. And for me, uh, thinking about if that were my son, learning all about uh, all about me, um, how would I how would I relate to him or how would mm. I kind of uh, bring him alongside in this journey? And it's just a uh, it's it scares me i guess to to put myself in michael senior's predicament but um that's because i'm not a <laughs> i'm not a gangster a monster yeah. and not a paid assassin so it's yeah. uh it's a little bit different there but um he mike uh max allen collins also says right at the beginning of the book in the in his introduction that this this screenplay is based on the japanese manga uh, lone wolf and cub okay and which is also a father-son duo yeah um i read that recently and it's like 28 volumes or something like Mm -hmm. that and i had no intention of reading all of them but i read the first and was hooked and it's got to be one of my favorite comics and i'm not a manga reader at all but that it's just so compelling especially that father-son dynamic and that's what i really like about this book too yeah cool uh yeah yeah i i it's I have a different perspective, right? Because I don't have any kids yet, um, but it is something that is in the future for me. So uh, it's not something that was in the in the front of my mind, but now that you once you bring it up, it's uh, it is a very interesting element of it. There's a there's another uh, a book uh, called The Road, and for the longest time, I always got the two mixed up because uh, I think they both had movies like. Oh yeah, fairly close to one another. I and they're both they're both adaptations and all that. Um, and I read The Road because it was a it's a, a related to um, The Last of Us, uh, the, the, the video, video game. game. Yeah, which uh, is sort of it's loosely based not based on but influenced by that that book, uh, uh, the Cormac McCarthy book. And uh, it, it it's a it's a father son story as well. I and I just recently read that last summer. Um, and uh, so there was a lot of that going on in the back of my mind when I was reading this because there's a lot of very similar stuff that that thing that you talk about of the uh, the father passing on knowledge to the son even though uh, that knowledge is a little bit <laughs> yeah it's a little weird right it's a little off for for guys like us who are just normal average average people and I think that that's one of the things that makes it uh, sort of so so interesting and easy to get into 
because we can all hopefully relate. A lot of people can relate. They have a father-son relationship or at least a surrogate father-son relationship for some people. Uh, but everybody's kind of got that male role model that they've looked up to that, you know, as you follow them around and learn from them, you learn what kind of a person they really are. Yeah. And at the beginning of the book, Michael Sr. is very much uh, sort of this, this uh, like iconographic representation of a father. Uh, and especially once, once uh, his son sees him in action sees what he does for a living he kind of puts him on a pedestal right at the beginning in that first chapter yeah and then later on as the book goes on and there's obviously there's the narration which is after the fact that kind of points out uh, these things as as it's going through and, and he points out oh i used to think that my father was this and that right that that he was sort of untouchable and, and all that sort of thing but as the book goes on you see that start to fall away and it's in those moments it's in those moments like you said when when they're driving the car and he sees his father frightened for the first time yeah um but it's also interesting because in all of the real hard action stuff uh michael jr's not there right right he's 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 always very careful to say from what i can piece together yeah this is what happened uh, but because his his dad has been has been protecting him and sheltering him yeah. from that. Yeah. So he's got this um almost like super heroic lens that he views his father through. So when he recounts those stories and he says it's probably sensationalized. Yeah, as it? best yeah. as I can remember, this is what happened. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe there's five more guys than there actually were. Maybe, right. you know, he he didn't actually kill all of them. Maybe like whatever. Like there's all sorts of areas where you could say like oh that might be embellished or that's through the lens of a child looking at mm-hmm. these these already fantastic circumstances and then adding all of this other uh nostalgia and 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 all these other psychological things onto it uh so i i think that's that's really interesting uh because the road has a uh it has some similar elements but from a very different perspective because it's it's post-apocalyptic so instead of um there is no happy ending in the road right oh too bad spoiler alert there's no happy ending uh you you can tell from the first chapter that it's not going to go well for anybody the book's going to end on a sad note but i the same sort of things happen but in with a different lens right so and it's it's told from more of an omniscient perspective so you don't get as much of the emotional attachment and that sort of thing. But I just thought that, that there's a really cool connection between those two stories uh, that if people have read The Road or if they've played The Last of Us, then Road to Perdition is is a very cool story to check out if that's if you enjoyed those kinds of stories. Because it it's very similar. They're, they're coming-of-age stories, uh, and they all have these very similar father figure uh sort of rough guys that uh they're they're rough but at the center they're actually they they care and it's actually their defining quality more than anything is love and compassion right but sort of covered in this really really tough exterior 
that makes for really interesting three-dimensional characters that are fun mm-hmm. to explore so and that's what i love about lone wolf and cub as well is that the same mm-hmm. <clears throat> exactly what you were saying there and even even more so because you enter in the whole code of honor of the samurai mm-hmm. back in feudal japan kind of um setting as well and it adds another element to that um walking dead is another one yeah. that i think has a great yeah. father-son dynamic and i love the way that they those two characters uh, play off of each other um, kind of similar to this in mm-hmm. a way as well um anyway i wanted to, t- to touch base uh with you on about the movie but you didn't get around to watching it no so. i didn't um but i do want to just mention that um the movie is great mm-hmm. it, it's a really good ap- adaptation um, but there are some significant changes that they make that um that really change a lot of the story mm-hmm. um, there's no narration so the the um so the dialogue is even more sparse than in the book okay um which really adds to its drama mm-hmm. um they because they are much more cinematic because of it um they but they 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 make michael sullivan they call him michael sullivan they change it from o sullivan to sullivan mm-hmm. um they, they make michael sullivan a much more sympathetic character he's not the angel of death okay. he's not the one who kills that that um michael jr sees kill at the very beginning connor uh Connor Rooney they changed Looney to Rooney in the Mm. movie Um, and then throughout the course of the movie you get a lot more of that emotion a lot more of the father-son bonding Um, and then they also retain uh, Michael Jr.'s innocence so they don't turn him into a killer either so there's a lot of uh, they soften both of the characters I think Um, but it works it works while that works in the book um to have have those those archetypes um the way they've done it for the movie really works too because we are more invested in their in their personalities and making sure that we see both of them come out of out of it together um the other thing in the movie is that they add a new character um played by jude law right in the halfway point um michael rooney I mean, um, John Rooney hires a guy to to off the, the Sullivans. Okay. So he kind of follows them around for the last half of the movie. Hmm. Um, totally, completely pointless character. And I'm hmm. not sure exactly why they put him in there. He serves no purpose except to do the job at the end that happens in the book. Um, and, yeah. Not a, oh, the other thing that they do is, um, is that... John Rooney plays like a father figure for Michael Sullivan. They really okay. they in this book he's a cranky old man. Um, yeah. He's he's power hungry. He's a coward. Yeah. Um, but in this in the movie, he's he's a, really a father figure and a grandfather figure to uh, Michael okay. to Michael Junior. So, so Michael more... Junior never meets Looney in the book. Yeah. yeah. But um, he they're really tied together in the in the okay. movie, which makes the the betrayal even yeah. more but it's, John Rooney doesn't even betray him in, in the movie it's it just there's a lot of differences there it works okay. for the movie it's interesting it's different yeah much way different for the, for the so book. I what what I'll what I'll say to that having not seen that movie is do you think because um, it was a, a, adapted a few years back right? oh probably yeah it was early or mid 2000s I think maybe? yeah I don't remember what um, it is do you think if they did it today that they that they'd stick a little bit closer to the book 
Because I feel like like a few years ago, let's say pre-Walking Dead on television uh, and a lot of other things uh, of that sort of um, darker tone, uh, do you think that now they they feel more comfortable Probably, uh, yeah. adapting it more directly? Because in reading the book, I definitely never felt like they... Um, like there was a misstep in 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 Michael killing and and losing his innocence. Uh, I think it's actually a really important part of the story. Yeah, because I uh, really because well, he glorifies it, his dad's job, but then yeah. he realizes what actually his dad's job yeah. does. Yeah, and uh, and it also gives us that great moment afterwards because we we see it beforehand when uh, he just witnesses his father going in and, and confessing to the priest and when he walks out he always looks like he's lighter right like the burden's been lifted and then partway through the book we get we get michael's experience with that where he goes in he confesses mm-hmm. to the priest and then he expresses how how much better he feels after that that right. that he committed a sin but then you know the the forgiveness and all that aspect mm-hmm. and and the belief of that and and how strong that is for them yeah um well and, because- and it, it makes it really interesting because then they're they they are both very uh convicted people right like they, they both have very strong beliefs and they don't let go of those even though they're really on a mission of revenge throughout the whole yeah. book right yeah. so it's I, I i don't know i think i think that's one of the more interesting aspects uh so to lose it in the movie would, yeah would be a little bit well and they to me but yeah well you'll be very disappointed because they take the, all of the religion out of it okay. actually because they're soft characters sure. and they don't do as much killing there is still some killing but there's not the the repentance guns blazing as, yeah. um and maybe that's because they can't say they, they don't have the narration saying well um you know, I, this is what I think happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, they actually show it, but um, they uh, so they don't. There's not that same need for as confession. I, I, as I was reading through it, I was wondering, like I was going, I really don't see Tom Hanks <laughs> hot, like jumping over yeah. tables, two guns blazing, and down and the banister. Yeah. yeah, like I really didn't see that happening. So I was like, well, they must tone this down. So they do, and he plays a more smooth kind of suave. Um, I don't know. You'll more you'll, a, you'll have to see more it. of it's a good. Bogart type, a little bit character. more of that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, I we move from a story about a father and son and to father and, and sons, four sons. Yeah. <laughs> I so the the next book is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Volume One: Change Is Constant, which is uh, the first volume in the recent IDW relaunch. And uh, I'll say when when they when they said that they were relaunching uh, Ninja Turtles, and I don't remember this was this is post Nickelodeon or pre Nickelodeon purchase. Nope. The, okay, so Nickelodeon's yeah. So I, I'm fairly certain that this was post Nickelodeon purchase. Um, and this was, I think, maybe even the first thing yeah. that that came about as a result of that. I think so too. Um, so a lot of people were very hesitant when it was happening. Um, I held off on reading the issues until volume one came out. And I, uh, cause, cause I knew that I was going to 
be invested in this so if i'm if you know and I, I just don't like having a lot of issues lying around they uh, they're harder to organize they don't look as nice <laughs> on the shelf all that sort of thing um but i uh, volume one came out and i picked it up the week that it came out and uh and read through it and i fell in love with this version of the turtles um it's a very interesting thing and i think what we're actually going to end up talking a lot about is these turtles versus the uh the the classic 80s turtles that everybody knows and loves from yeah. the cartoon uh versus the original mirage turtles yeah. and uh, and a little tiny bit of what we've got to come later this summer which uh, i am not super pumped about yeah. which is michael bay's uh take on the turtles now he's not directing this the upcoming turtles movie but he is producing it'll have his stamp all over it and we don't need to dwell too much no we don't the (laughs) the one thing that i will say is i uh so well let's just start with that and get it out of the way sure the new ninja turtles property the new movie misses on a lot of marks right out of the gate that you can kind of tell just just from the trailer um it's dark it's edgy and it's it's uh, it's got a complicated storyline. Um, from the trailer, they're inferring that Shredder and April O'Neil's father, for some reason, sorry, his name's Schrader in the in the the like his real name. His real name is like Eric Schrader or something like that. Which, <laughs> so which he's not Japanese. Oroku Saki turns into who is the Shredder turns into Eric Schrader. That is just like <laughs> I, actually I shouldn't say that's the tip of the iceberg. That's the most. That's most of the iceberg. So the big controversy is the way that the turtles look, which is pretty much Shrek without the ears and a whole bunch of accessories glued onto their shells. Um, my biggest issue with that is that the turtles are not monsters they've never been monsters they are definitely mutants but it's teenage mutant ninja turtles not teenage monster ninja turtles they shouldn't be these giant imposing figures uh first of all it makes it very hard to be a ninja when you're eight feet tall and well and your shell doesn't fit through a door frame (laughs) yeah um in fact 90% 90% of the incarnations of the turtles have been smaller than a human. Right. And the um, only reason why the 90s movies turtles are human yeah. size is because they were played by humans. Yes. And and in fact, if you go back, they're shorter than pretty much everybody else in those movies. Oh, yeah? And uh, and several of them were played by uh, female uh, uh, martial artists. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Michelangelo most notably, because I think it was it's somebody... It's somebody well known in the in the martial arts scene. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. It's a very old trivia, but uh, but I do remember behind the scenes stuff where it's like yeah they, they were they, mostly like very small individuals, um, and female martial artists. I so my biggest beef with this upcoming turtles is is the unnecessary need to change their origin story um, into something connected to the shredder. This is. I, I don't I don't have a phrase for it yet, but it's it's very prevalent right now. It's in the new Spider Man stuff, the Amazing Spider Man movies, yeah. where everything is connected to Oscorp, which I think is very I think it's lazy. I, I think just by saying that that all of these mutations come from the same place. Well, that's that kind of a tie to Ultimate Spider Man. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but they're sort of carrying that mentality into this turtles thing where shredder has to be somehow connected to the ooze and connected to their mutation yeah um it's a white guy playing shredder which i personally think and this is this is just you know full disclosure because this is a podcast and you can't see me i am a white guy (laughs) you know so uh my opinion on this is a take it for what it's worth but i think it's really offensive to take one of probably the most recognizable asian characters in pop culture and to whitewash him well uh, for no good reason well and you're in in comic book movies they're always changing characters from white to another ethnicity to add some racial diversity to the cast like like in thor uh hogan becomes chinese i think yeah uh, and heimdall is is african is is black yeah so like yeah. yeah and 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 I'm all for that. I love it when they do that. Uh, when when people were saying a while ago when they were rebooting Spider-Man that the new Spider-Man should be black, that they should look outside of just like the the you know handsome white guy, brown hair, green eyes sort of thing, and start looking at some other options. I was like, man, how great would it be if Spider-Man was black and he grew up in 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 uh, in like in like the Bronx or like brooklyn instead of yeah instead of queens right there's so many cool things that you can do and they've done it with ultimate spider-man with miles morales but to go the other way with the turtle stuff and to to not only make uh shredder white but uh splinter is also going to be white really Uh, he's voiced by tony shalhoub which oh no (laughs) figure that one out um just terrible casting if Tony Shalhoub is doing an Asian accent that'll be even worse we, yeah, haven't, we right. haven't heard him speak except for one line in the second trailer and it's hard to tell if he's doing some sort of thing um, and just the overall a lot of people got mad when, when Megan Fox was cast and to be perfectly honest I, Megan Fox is a decent actress I don't think she's that offensive she's uh, not I, the worst thing in this movie that's I think sure. she gets a, a, a bad rap for a lot of the things that she's been involved in but she's actually had some pretty good performances in some movies so you know I she's gonna be as good as the script and the directing but <laughs> yeah right. uh, and and so that's where it falls apart right uh, it really to me betrays the spirit of the turtles and that's where I'll bring it back to the comics um a lot of people when you say that they go yeah well not really because you're thinking of like the 1980s cartoon ninja turtles but the original comics are actually really dark and the ninja turtles are actually really hardcore and violent <laughs> now i've got i've got a very thick tome here of volume 1 uh, mirage like the collected tmnt uh book 1 and it's it's like the first four volumes and a bunch of the one-off miniseries issues, and uh, and you you managed to pick them up in the colorized format. Yep. Um, so we've both actually read a fair amount, Curtis even more than I have, uh, of this classic original Ninja Turtles as they were first published. Now, and I wanted to because I hadn't actually yeah. read the original Mirage comics before, yeah. and um, to put, I, the, and to I put hadn't this IDW until, uh, until after IDW. So, okay, and so I wanted I to put this first. into perspective for myself yeah. as well. And um, uh, yeah, so yeah, continue. What, what, what were you going to so, say here? These turtles, the original turtles, 
as envisioned by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, they are not that dark and gritty. As a matter of fact, the dark and gritty tone is a joke. Like, anybody who's done their research on the Turtles and really looked into what Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird have to say about it, uh, who are the original creators, they come from a background working on heavy metal, which, for for listeners who might not know, because that might go back before your time, uh, heavy metal, I mean, it's still published today, yep. but in its heyday, was sort of the alternative comics, uh, sort of the flagship for alternative comics and definitely for adult alternative comics like alternative uh, sci-fi and yeah like yeah yeah that very like heavy sci-fi uh, they made a movie an animated movie that's that's very like which i love it's so it's full of 80s cheesiness yeah, but it's it's um, got some great stuff in there it's and it's it's all very uh i uh, for those who who don't know about that stuff the best analog that i can that i can point to in more mainstream comics uh, and it's funny, I'm sure Frank Miller would be really upset to hear me say it, but it would be Frank Miller and Sin City, uh, that which comes up again. Uh, that That is almost being lampooned in the Ninja Turtles with the absurdity of the fact that w- these are teenage mutant ninja turtles. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it's black and white. It is gritty from a visual standpoint, but the turtles have a sense of humor. Uh, they're they're very quippy, uh, with the exception of Leonardo, who is pretty serious, but almost to the point of of um, ridiculousness at times. Like he's he's very much a samurai stereotype of the '80s. So that that sort of that Ronin, like like I'm a I'm an overly serious samurai warrior sort of thing, right? So. When people say that the original Turtles were grittier and more violent, to a certain degree, sure. But why were they gritty and violent? Because Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird were making fun of the world that they'd come from. Like, they on a, on a lark, they came up with these characters. And they went, actually, there's something really cool here. Let's run with this. And they created a series. Uh, and and created like an, an empire and and definitely a cultural phenomenon. Yep. By the time that it it hit the uh, the 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 airwaves on uh, on TV. Um, now the um, these these original comics now because I I'm reading them for the first time just like you are now. Yeah. Um, I actually I can I know the history and so I could yeah. read it in that with that in mind. Yes. But as I was reading it, it actually, I found that it actually is fairly, fairly tame in its satire. Okay. It I I I thought that be and it's because we're so used to this type of, um, this type of superhero now, mm-hmm. just the talking animals and whatever, yeah. um, that it actually reads fairly straight. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It, it's a very subtle satire and it would have been way more obvious in the 80s when you didn't have a whole bunch of Absolutely. teenage mutant ninja turtle clones already yeah. because we've come we now now that this has become so popular there's so many shows out there now I have it's a, a street sharks thing. t-shirt street right? sharks yeah, <laughs> so, yeah exactly. which are they're literally a ripoff right yeah. same with biker mice from mars right you just kind of string terrible thunder lizards and like right. you, you just string some ridiculous words together and that's your uh, 
that's your kid's show. Yeah, and and it's um it's it's ridiculous and it's extreme, yeah. but for the eight year olds who are watching it, that's normal. Yeah, and for us who have grown up with that now, as absolutely, it's normal for us. So to go back and read this, it actually plays fairly straight. Yeah, um, it's the satire doesn't so, come off. So like as well. I think I think with the historical perspective that that was what they were going for. Yep. right from a story perspective you're right it does it does play very straight um sort of alternative comics from the 80s right now, but could... then but then the fact that they're four foot tall <laughs> right well the, the title that... the title gives it away yeah yeah like, what, what are trained by title? Rat. yeah um but i can think of two comics that came out in the same time one of them yeah. is service yes um which they had they have a cameo service Pre- has a preceded cameo the ninja turtles um and then um Yusaki Yojimbo, yes, uh, who also has a connection with the turtles. Yep. Those two are way more satire, sure, um, and obviously satire yeah. than than this, these comics are. Yeah, absolutely. So my 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 counterpoint to that is that uh, Eastman and Laird, yeah, although they are credited with coming up with four of the most recognizable superheroes, uh, especially of the eighties, I. I have to personally say, they're not the best, right? Like they, uh, especially of the time, um, their writing can be a little oh, bit yeah. funky. It's, yep, it's the amateurish. Art, and, the the yeah. art is very inconsistent. Well, uh, yeah, and it's inconsistent because I think both of them yes. draw it right. Yeah, and so it switches back and forth. It does. Each yeah. Issue. Yeah. So so I do think like I I think the authorial intent was there. Yeah. I think that um, I they just. Stan, for, for them, it was Stan just a Sakai book, is right? a genius, right? So, yeah. like, like both from an artist perspective and his writing, like he's kind of got that, like a little bit more of the wit. Um, I, the 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 creator of Cerebus, David uh, Sim, yeah, he, uh, again, like like the, like the, I think that what you're dealing with there is just more talented people do attacking the same sort of idea. Yeah. So you get you get the satire more clearly, and I think what happened with the turtles, especially by the time that it becomes a multimedia phenomenon you know on pizza boxes <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and uh cereal and video games and all that is that eastman and laird kind of drank their own kool-aid right <laughs> and they started going like actually no we created something really cool yeah to the point where eventually i i, I can never remember who it is i think is it kevin eastman or peter laird who distanced himself from it because at a well, certain Kevin point, Eastman's involved in this new one, so I would yes. assume that it's yes, that's right. Laird. Okay, yeah. So it's so Peter Laird. I kind of woke up to it one day and went, I don't want anything to do with this anymore, <laughs> and went back to heavy metal. And, well, I'm sure he still collects comments. his royalty checks, oh, though. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he does. I, but I, yeah, like he kind of walked away from it at a certain yeah, point. Yeah, um, yeah. Kind of realizing that it had gotten a little bit. Uh, further away from what they had originally envisioned um, and that he just did, it, he, he wasn't into it anymore and yeah that's fine because it's been left in the hands of some very capable people over the years right IDW um, is now one of them yeah and IDW uh, in my opinion the most capable hands yeah I IDW is a really great publisher for people who aren't reading stuff by IDW and they've kind of they've kind of actually taken up the mantle that Dark Horse had in the 90s of, of licensed properties, of licensed properties yeah, yeah. 
uh, that are handled with care. Like if you go back to the 90s and you think about the Star Wars comics that were being done by Dark Horse, stuff like Dark Empire and, and Crimson Empire and uh, other things with Empire in the name, I'm sure. Uh, Heir to the Empire. Rise of the Empire. Uh, yeah, uh, all sorts of, uh, of things that they were doing back then. Those were awesome comics. And now Dark Horse has kind of gotten into this weird place where they're just kind of resting on their laurels and, and they're not really producing great stuff. They don't have the best artists or writers. Um, but they do I, a lot of reprints. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but IDW has filled that void by coming in and grabbing things like really a lot of the 80s All of properties. the 80s, yep. Uh, Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters, G.I. Joe, Transformers. They're doing all of that right Well, and now. all of the Cartoon Network stuff they're doing, a yeah. surprisingly good job, too, with yeah. Samurai Jack, Powerpuff oh, Girls, yeah, yeah, Dexter's yeah. Laboratory, like yeah. all of those. It's amazing, actually, how um, well they're doing with and I think And I think the key to it is that they put people on these books that have connection to the source material but uh, that aren't too precious with it. Right. Right? So getting back into into volume one of, of, of the IDW TMNT, uh, my favorite thing is the least favorite thing about what this movie is doing, and that's the retelling of the origin story. Yeah, and that's the first thing that crossed my mind when I read this. It's like, why do we have to change the story? Yeah. Um, I mean, they do a good job, but so, what, what's the necess- what's the necessity there? So when you get into to volume two and three, yeah. you'll really start to see why it was necessary. Because when I read volume one the first time, I was like, especially in those first two issues, I'm like, really? Yeah, really? April's naming all the turtles. Yeah, like, do we need to do this? Does she- there need to be a connection here? Um, and then later on, Splinter has some very cryptic things to say about like, find your brother. So the, the plot of the first book is essentially uh, April is working in this in this lab uh, uh, and uh, ninjas break in one night and try and steal a bunch of stuff, including a canister of ooze, four turtles, and some other junk, uh, some CDs and some data and that sort of thing. And uh, a super intelligent rat nicknamed Splinter uh, that's been injected with a bunch of... Uh, uh, intelligence altering drugs yeah um actually manages to to help april fend off these these ninjas but in the fray obviously the canister breaks they all get mutated and we have a family we love yeah um with one exception raf gets separated right then and there and um, doesn't cut, mutate along, along with them along with a with, cat along with a cat a new character who becomes old hob who at first i really didn't like yeah but as this as the the story goes on uh not necessarily in volume one but later on uh he actually becomes a really cool character okay well that's good so, to know um so here's some things that i liked and and the, sorry and the, they have to find raf that's essentially the the first book is, right. is the the three brothers searching for their lost brother yeah. Um, and Splinter alludes to the fact that, like, once you find your brother, everything it will become clear. I'll I'll, I'll tell you what's happened to us, mm-hmm. um, and and I'll 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 make this known. Um, and I, we really should have read like the first three volumes so that we could talk <laughs> yeah. about it. But I'll leave it at that because I, it really is very cool where it goes. And okay. I, you can you can leave here tonight with volumes two and three. That would be great. Four, I'd love to. Whatever, um, but yeah, I I love it. I love the retelling of the origin story. But what's your take on it? Well, um, I was kind of disappointed that it's only four issues. 
because mm -hmm. I think it could have been told that story could have been told a little quicker and then maybe added a couple more issues to yeah. give us a, something a little bit more um, and that's the feeling I have with most um, you know most first superhero movies it's all origin and they yeah. don't get any of that meat um, I mean I guess they have to do it because they are telling a new story mm -hmm. um, but uh, some of the things I liked are um, it, the, the much more organic relationship between Casey Jones and Raph yeah. uh, they did that really well the two of them meeting getting um backstory and especially because raf doesn't have the history of being a you know quote-unquote superhero by the time like yeah. i think he's really going to be influenced a lot by casey jones mm -hmm. um and what what he does um i like that they are spelling michelangelo's name correctly now <laughs> that was kind of nice to see um although it's should be pronounced michelangelo i guess yeah, or something like yeah. that but uh, i don't know why that was um, it doesn't matter. They start calling him Mikey pretty quick. Well, exactly. So. <laughs> I noticed that in there, too. Yeah. Um, and then the, the fact that they, they nod to all of the past versions as well, yeah. um, in sometimes in mocking ways, like the Cowabunga t-shirt. Yeah. But then just the fact that they all are wearing red um, bandanas, yeah. or red masks, um, throws back to the early Mirage days as well. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, the fact that Baxter Stockman is black again, um, yeah. and April is not a reporter, like that all goes back to the original. It, stuff yeah, as well, it's right? it's really interesting because if your first introduction to the Turtles is the cartoon series, which for many of us it was, and there's yep. no shame in that. People nope. want to have their geek cred by saying, "Oh, I was into the comic books before the cartoon." <laughs> no, you weren't because you were four. Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, so, like, I, unabashedly, I, I have the the complete series on my shelf uh, in in turtle van glory nice and uh and and i've watched the first three discs of it because <laughs> after that it kind of it's rough right from the get-go but it gets it's worse. fun i i actually i watch but it with my son and that's he, what they're there for they're, yeah. they're there for when i have kids along with my darkwing duck and, yep, uh, yep. and uh, i just got godzilla the series from from the oh, 90s perfect. Uh, they're all there for when i have kids so that we can watch quality superhero tv um well I don't know if you call that quality. Ninja Turtles is, has a lot of you mistakes know, going for you, it. <laughs> when you compare it to the Ghostbusters, to the real Ghostbusters, it's really funny because uh, when you look back on them with nostalgia, it's like, oh man, the original Turtles cartoon was so great. Yeah. And, and so was Ghostbusters. And then you go back and you're like, wow, the Turtles, not that great. Well, you know, the worst but Ghostbusters is, is totally solid. Like, it, it maintains, I think. Like, that, it, it has its moments. But yeah. Ghostbusters is a really solid, really well written series. Yeah. I uh, but Turtles is just like obnoxious most of the time. Well, and the worst is we're just we're getting off on a tangent yeah. here, but the worst is Thundercats. That sure. I loved yeah, that yeah. show when I was growing up and watching it now, it it's terrible. Yeah, it's and it's so a shame awful. that the uh, that the reboot didn't catch on because the reboot was actually a really Yeah, I watched really the first half of the series. season the first season. Um, it was really good. But anyway, we're getting off track yeah. here. Um going back to Ninja Turtles. Uh, we have an email that I want to read a little bit yeah. of. It's from it's from Doug, and he says, I read the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and was interested in seeing a new take on the classic story, as IDW tends to do. Uh, I do feel that this is kind of modern a modern comic that people come to expect, being loyal to the ideas, but displaying more a more character-based story, which I agree um, mm -hmm. when you're taking a property that um, is, well, 30 years old at this point. Yeah. Um, 
you usually spend more time in the origin. I mean, I, I liked Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 1 that took the 15-page story from Amazing Fantasy and stretched it into six issues yeah. because you could really dig into the characters a lot better that way. Uh, and they did this the same way in Turtles here as well. Um, it opens with action and a lot of unanswered questions, which steadily are answered through the book. I have to express some frustration, though, at the fact that the Turtles don't have their distinctive colored masks. <laughs> Michelangelo was a different shade of green, but I couldn't tell the difference between Donatello and Leonardo unless their weapons were visible. Do you know why they made this choice? Well, because originally in the Mirage comics, they were yeah. all wearing the same thing. In fact, they didn't even color them differently back then. No. They were all the same shade of green. Yeah. Um, and they did have different weapons, which actually when I'm reading was reading these old comics, it wasn't as confusing as as I thought it was going to be. They do a really good job of of yeah. pointing out um, using the names and pointing out, and a lot of times it doesn't even matter who who's talking. It's it's in the original Mirage stuff. It's interesting because it's either irrelevant, or from the first word of the sentence, you know which one is talking. Right, right, and it's just yeah, because they have the distinctive personality. Yeah, so. um, which uh, especially in the first couple issues, it's not very evident that they have separate personalities, with the exception of Michelangelo. Right, but as you get further on, yeah, especially once you get through that first. Uh, bit of story in the Mirage stuff you start to see the, the personalities come out mm -hmm. those personalities that we now know second nature right I mean you don't even think somebody says Donatello you go well, he does machines right yeah. like it's right in the theme song everybody knows um, you can you can recite that yeah. uh, by rote um, it does change later on uh, if, if anybody's noticed when going through the comic book store and has seen uh, current issues of the IDW Turtles, they they do get their their colored bandanas later. Which is it's actually yeah. a very important part of the story. So okay. well, um, and it's I think it's necessary. Well, for merchandising for sure. one thing, but also just because um, you it it's I think it's just really hard to have a. Um, anything where the all four of the characters look exactly the same yeah like i don't think you'd find any tv show or a comic book or anything where all of the characters look exactly the same so so on that note i'll bring up the nickelodeon turtles which i uh, we've talked about the original uh, turtles cartoon series i'll briefly say that the 2003 ninja turtles series was pretty good for its time uh, and and one of the few good cartoons that came out of that era yeah um that was kind of a a bit of a dead zone for cartoons for a little while there. I uh, this new one from Nickelodeon. I uh, personally, it is one of my top three shows on TV. Uh, I I love it every week. Uh, I think it's a great show. I think it's great for kids. I think adult fans of the Turtles can also enjoy it uh, for for lots of different reasons. There's lots of throwbacks to the original cartoon. There's throwbacks to the to the the original comics. Um, the 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 80s cartoon turtles actually make a cameo appearing appearance in one episode nice of the of the new nickelodeon turtles yeah they did that um, in the, the 2003 turtles yeah they too. did that that with uh, turtles forever as well um but i one really cool thing that they do in that nickelodeon show is each of the turtles actually looks different and you you can actually see them because i've got them on my on my shelf um the the action figures Donatello's a little bit taller and lankier than the rest of them. Rap is more short and stout. Michelangelo is 
smaller because he's the youngest brother right uh, and then leonardo is sort of your base model right okay. like he's sort of uh, uh average in all respects yeah and i noticed that they they're all colored differently they yeah. all have a different shade they, and they even shade of green. they even wear their gear differently slightly and, differently yeah and like their shells have different yeah. cracks in them and the, so they're kind of they're all immediately recognizable yeah um and uh and as this book goes on that that happens uh, as different artists battle damage uh, I, well just as different artists come on they they oh, okay. they sort of uh, take different approaches um and the the artist who's currently doing doing ninja turtles i uh, i think it's james santa luoco but I, that's even how you pronounce his last name i know it's santa luoco you know that's his last name i uh, i'm probably butchering it uh but uh, he he actually borrows some of the the Nickelodeon aspects, okay. brings them into the turtles in in the IDW stuff, nice. and uh, and he does it really well to the point where it doesn't feel like it's disjointed from this. It doesn't feel like he's he's trying to merge the two worlds because okay. they're very distinct. They're very different, and that's that's sort of my biggest thing right now is that at the moment we have two. Uh, different versions of the turtles running at the same time. We have the IDW comics that are definitely for a mature audience. They're definitely uh, aimed at at us twenty five to thirty year olds who, who grew up, up with it, it yeah. um, and are now adults. And then you've got the Nickelodeon turtles that is aimed at children. Basically, but, the licensed comic. But. Yeah, um, but like the, the, we have both running at the same time, but they're both the best versions of the turtles that's good i uh, uh, that we could possibly have for those two different audiences uh, yeah. and then you've got the movie which is so far off the mark for either audience that it's really it's really upsetting and the most upsetting thing is that it's probably going to hit with general audiences uh just like transformers has yeah and we're gonna have yeah. to put up with it for a while yeah it's it's just such a shame when you've got um such a quality piece of work in this, and I don't think in the first book Shredder even shows up. Does no, he? he doesn't. Um, so when he does show up, you will see that the Shredder can be handled in a very serious, matter-of-fact way, uh, and the aspects of him that have been campy in the past are not necessarily uh, uh, needed for that character to read. Good. So I, I. The the IDW Shredder is definitely more keeping with the 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 Mirage Shredder, um, and not the cartoon Shredder, uh, <laughs> which uh, the Nickelodeon Shredder is more in keeping with the Mirage Shredder than the, than the original right. cartoon was, and I uh, I every incarnation of the Shredder is more in keeping with the original intent of the character than this upcoming version. So uh, yeah. Even the uh, '80s cartoon version. Even the '80s cartoon version. <laughs> the uh, bumbling yeah. oaf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably a good place to to leave that off. I at some point I'll want to jump in and do more turtles. We'll we'll talk more turtles and uh, maybe jump in further down the road. So I recommend to everybody that you go out, you pick up if you enjoyed the first volume, uh, even if you just enjoyed it a little bit. Pick up the next volume. Uh, pick up the micro series because although a lot of the time uh, uh, when you see something like uh, like like a mini series or something like that, it might not necessarily be needed to to understand the overall plot. 
that's not the case with the micro series with the uh, with the IDW turtles. Yeah, they actually contain a lot of very important plot points, um, and and I suggest doing some research and double checking the order of publication <sighs> so that you know where they drop in. I don't know. Um, is it sounding like a Marvel summer blockbuster? <laughs> it, it is a little bit, but you have to remember that it's been a few years. So so we've got I think seven volumes. Uh, seven or eight volumes of of the the main book, yep. and then we've got two or three volumes of the micro series, two volumes of the villains micro series, and uh, and one volume of uh, secret origin of the Foot Clan. Oh, yeah. um, and it's really it's it's super important that you read them in order because you'll actually you'll actually miss things or be very confused. The one thing that I will say is that. The latest, the uh, volume two of the the villains micro series. Read it before the volume of the main book that came that was published before that, because uh, it's, <laughs> that's really confusing to say. But essentially, uh, there's a character introduction in the villains micro series that if you didn't read it before that the volume of the main book that was released before that you'll be really confused. I certainly was. And if I wasn't keeping up to date, just in a general sense, by checking out previews and stuff, I would have been even more confused. So like I I essentially, because I'm so hardcore into turtles and keeping up on things was like, Oh, they must introduce him in the villains micro series. And I, it's like, I just have to wait for that to come out. So it's the one, it's the one time that they've released these books out sort of, of out of order. Huh, okay. Um, and it's because of the City Fall storyline in, in, in those two volumes that right. they that they did. Um, because it's sort of a big event uh, that happens and the micro series stuff ties directly into that and it was kind of all all done at the same time. Which most of the time the micro series are a little bit uh, you can kind of lift them out and place them in a diff- few different places. And there's actually editor's notes that say by the way, this takes place in between this and this. So, yeah, um, good. I recommend everybody get up to date on this if you like the Ninja Turtles because it only gets better from Volume One, um, and uh, and at some point we'll jump in. In fact, a cool place to jump in might be uh, the the next volume that comes out, uh, which is the. Uh, uh, well, I won't say it because okay, cause, don't say it. Yeah, because the volume the title kind of gives stuff away, but I. Okay. Uh, Cool. So uh, our our last title, yeah, this uh, is a uh, powers. Um, who recommended this to us? You know, I don't have that. Uh, Jonathan. It was Jonathan. Something. I, yeah, we should have uh, should have checked. That yeah, out. we should look it up. <laughs> you, you talk about powers for a second, and I'll look up that email. And uh, okay, so, so powers is Michael Brian Michael Bendis's first sort of mainstream comic he'd been doing lots of comics before this and he did a lot of his noir crime like jinx and mm-hmm. uh, goldfish and torso before that and they were all published um or re- republished i guess by image they picked them up and so image gave him the opportunity to do um his own ongoing and that turned out to be powers which isn't too different from his other stuff um like he his detective crime sort of stories 
Uh, except this time he doesn't draw it. He drew all those other ones, but he doesn't draw this one. He's just the writer. And the artist is... What does his art look like? What does what does Bendis' art look like? Is it is it good? Um, it does the job. It's um, it's very blocky. It's all black and white, and he uses um, lots of blocky shadows. Okay. Um, it kind of reminds me of um, the artist he was paired with for Alias when he did Alias for Marvel back in the okay. early two thousands. What was that? Alex Maliv or something like that. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it 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 did the job. He did a lot of repetitive um, panels and that kind of stuff, which. Um, Michael Avon Oming, the artist of this of Powers, uses a lot of repetitive yeah. um, panels as well. So this story is sort of like a modern day crime noir. Um, it's it stars in Detective Christian Walker and his his partner. Uh, what's his partner's name? Uh, Dina. Oh, Dina Pilgrim. Pilgrim. Yeah, that's right. Dina Pilgrim, and um, they are. They are police officers who kind of deal with um, crimes against superheroes or people with powers. Mm. And so in this one, at the beginning, uh, Retro Girl has been murdered, and so they're out to figure out the murder or who the murderer is. Um, this was a sort of a groundbreaking comic in, in the fact that it was a superhero comic that didn't focus on superheroes. Yeah. And they kind of paved the way there's lots of superhero comics kind of like that now <laughs> but um they kind of paved the way for that and it has a lot of signature brian michael bendez um witty and rambly dialogue um and it's paired with a really interesting art style um one that i i didn't expect i thought it uh because it's it's very clean um mm. with with uh, you know very big bold shapes and playing with with bold shadows as well, uh, so influenced you can tell influenced by Batman the animated series. Yeah. He's got yeah, that it's, Bruce Wayne chin, Tim. yeah. Um, and uh, it was just an interesting art style, especially when you know we just read um, Road to Perdition, which yeah. is sort of that same noir feel, but uses a very different art style, very detailed yeah. and such. This one, this one's not like that. Um, and I, I like the the color palette as well. They use colors um, very sparse. A lot of the pages will have one signature color. Like there will be a lot of purples or pinks in one page, and the other one will be much more uh, gray tones or brown tones. Um, and that adds to the noir style because you're not getting that in the shadows. Um, so it makes up for it in the color. Mm -hmm. Because for some reason, Image has to publish color books although i guess walking dead isn't color is it it's no black walking and white, dead's black and they and they yeah. do a, a great job with that yeah um and the other my other thing that i wanted to mention just on the art is that he uses his panel arrangements really well i thought he used there's a lot of black space which also adds to the sense of um of of noir of keeping a little bit more cinematic yeah keeps your eye following um it's so like the the whole world is black by by filling in all the black lines in between the panels and the black backgrounds you, you get a real sense that this is a, a dark world that they live in mm -hmm. um it seems like it's always night <laughs> yeah exactly right? it's one of those uh one of those types of worlds yeah yeah um as far as the story goes though i um 
it was just kind of it was just kind of bland it's a little bit paint by numbers yeah well and the thing is that you get through the whole thing and it has this do sex machina ending where the guy just shows up and and confesses to everything yeah um it's kind of like it's kind of like the whole Indiana Jones thing. If you remove Indiana Jones, it doesn't make a difference in Raiders yeah. of Lost Ark that everything still happens. And it's the same thing with this. Yeah. Um, if if Walker and Pilgrim were not in this book, the same results would have happened. They, the guys would still be... He would have still shown up and, and confessed everything. Um, it, it was kind of... It's kind of disappointing, mm. actually. <laughs> Yeah, um, so it, Jonathan Spice, uh, or sorry, Spies, I, he, he wrote in, he's a, he's a Quiver listener as well, um, and uh, he, he gave me an explanation of how to, how to pronounce his name a while ago. Um, he wrote in to, to suggest this, and he just says, I would like to submit Powers by Bendis and Omeg for your reader-selected book. Aside from being my favorite series, it is the best mix of crime and superhero fiction in the medium. Uh so he goes on to talk a little bit about it, but I I just think I think that's interesting because I've heard a lot of great things about Powers, as uh, had you, and then I I started reading it, and about four or five pages in, it it went from being a comic book to being a chore, uh, <laughs> and and especially because uh, because of the fact that I had to read it <laughs> for the podcast. Um, which is a great thing and a bad thing. It's a great thing because I probably wouldn't have picked up Road to Perdition when I did, uh, I, if yeah. not for that. And uh, but then it, it's a bad thing when when you got to read through something like Powers. The um, the dialogue is clunky. I mean, my the biggest thing for me with dialogue is uh, can you hear the person saying it? Right? Yeah. Can can you can you I, I don't know what the, vi- the, 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 the analog for visualizing with, uh, with listening, but can you auditorially imagine someone he- saying those lines? And although there's lots of effort on the part of Bendis to make it seem like it's naturalistic dialogue, it's not. It's about as contrived as it gets. Well, yeah. Because right? there's a lot of yeah. the, well, you know, but, uh, uh, you know. Uh, and that's his uh, kind of signature kinda thing. It's like, oh, thing. man. We have a new guy who who writes like we actually talk. Yeah, and that was kind of his thing. Um, if someone talked to me like that, I'd be like, "Knock it off! Organize <laughs> your thoughts before you open your mouth. Finish sentences, please." Yeah, uh, it would drive me nuts. So, well, and this is sort of still earlier on in his career. Yeah, um, especially with writing for mainstream. Like he he'd been an indie guy before that. Sure. Um, so, and have you read Fables? Yes. So the first volume of Fables, not really a fan. Okay. And I'd heard that this was a fantastic book and yeah. whatever. And um, so, but then the second volume yeah. and onward is amazing. Yeah. It's incredible. I And I went through the whole thing and it's such a good book. Yeah. But that first volume is not that great. It has a different focus, a different feel. It's a detective story. Yeah. Um, and it was not, uh, it was just... Yeah, it was just a kind of um, not not what it turned out to be, and I think that Powers probably falls into that same boat. Mm-hmm. I bet you if we go into Volume Two and onward, that um, it'll find its groove. Yeah, and that it probably will. Um, I I mean I re- I really hope so because I like 
I like the concept. When people talk about it, it it's always been something that I've been very interested in checking out. Um, I don't think I was as taken with the art as you were. It feels very... Uh, well, a lot of it is kind of... It is a little amateur. The, the, a it, lot of the poses are stiff and... Um, it feels very ripped off to me. It feels like, like uh, the artist watched Batman the Animated Series and read some Mike Mignola comics and thought that he could do that. Uh, yeah, right? there's a lot of that. And, yeah. uh, and when you look at, at, at both of those things, you look at Bruce Timm's work, um, it's almost like a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy. Because if you look at Bruce Timm's actual drawings, they are... Though they're beautiful, they're they're oh, breathtaking, yeah. right? Like though, especially especially the way that he draws women, and yeah. it's in the same style as Batman the Animated Series, but there's just because they're his lines. Yeah, it, there's, there's, there's just something about it. Yep. He's got this amazing eye for minimalist art, and then what you do is you send that eye overseas and have it translated by a bunch of uh, uh, artists working in in, in a sweatshop in factory <laughs> style uh, situation. And and don't get me wrong, all of the Batman animated stuff looks fantastic. Especially, like, well, it, most it, of it, yeah. It gets better as it goes on, but even like that that first season has some great stuff in it, For right? Sure. Like it Heart amazing. of Ice is, is incredible. Yeah, well, and on Leather Wings has and that yeah. excellent scene with the blimp and Yeah. So yeah. um you you get but but it is a it is sort of pale in comparison to Bruce Timm's actual artwork, right? Well, because he's then got you the get style another, the definitive style, yeah, yeah. And then you get another degree or two removed uh, in this book, where it's very clear that that it's inspired by that. But uh, man, I mean, I I'm an artist, you're an artist, and one thing that I always say to artists is, you, it's sounds like sports. You've got to work on your fundamentals. If you <laughs> yeah. can't block something out in geometric shapes in order to get the uh, the silhouette and volume of of your subject, then you're not ready to throw lines on it. Right. You know? Well, and it there's he's not um, his perspective is all over the place. Yeah. In a lot of his, I hate perspective, so I avoid it at all costs. Yeah. But, so, yeah, yeah. but this too. guy can't he can't help it because of the world that he li- that, sure. that this comic lives in. Um, but he's not good at that. Yeah, and his some... fema- his female anatomy is horrible. Like like retro girl looks. I I I think there's an element of retro girl that she's supposed to look a little bit like a Barbie doll. She's supposed to for sure have yeah. that element. But there's a very fine line between that and uh, and and just taking it that step too far, where like her top half is is unbalanced to her bottom half well, not from a that's a super that's a classic superhero absolutely thing, but like you can do that you can like you you can definitely make them top heavy yeah i a, a lot of what dc is doing right now has very top heavy women but i uh, but you can balance it and it's not right. balanced that the like like nobody ever taught him that a human is five heads high right in drawing right like like there's just there's a lot of things that just don't match up yeah. um and and it, it comes across as as like a high schooler's first comic yeah in it's, my it's inconsistent and sometimes um walker looks huge and other times yeah. he looks like yeah. really really thin it's just yeah uh, and some of his and while i do like a lot of his panel arrangements 
yeah. then when Bendis adds his speech bubbles, um, it just flows really nice. But other times it doesn't. And in the second issue, when they are, oh, that's, there's the TV. That's where I hit the wall, right? Yeah. Because I just you're trying didn't, I just to didn't get, read all of that. You're trying to get through the story, and there's this obnoxious backstory thing going on on the bottom of every page yeah and it breaks the flow it totally breaks the flow and, and it but, just it just kind of and they try it. to make it all like everything that is said in these tv reports at the bottom yeah. of the page relates to what's happening at the top so yeah. you feel like you need to read both of them but the flow is terrible and um i was going back to the mirage ninja turtles in um the leonardo one shot mm-hmm. which um in my i have the the comics that were reprinted by first publishing um it's in volume four they do a similar thing where there's the main action with leonardo fighting the foot at the top and a f- strip along the bottom of what's happening with the boys back at april's apartment at christmas mm. time um but it works so much better yeah um because the well because it's not loaded down with a million words for one thing it's very visual um yeah, it's it's a silent battle at the top that you can watch, and your eye flows through it, and then there's a little bit of narrative at the at the bottom, and it just works so well. It works the way it's intended, which is that it, you're cross cutting, right? Yeah, um, which is a, a, a film technique, and I think I think what you get in Powers is uh, similar to that Bruce Tim aspect. You get a lot of of. Uh, standing on other people's shoulders and saying that you did it yourself yeah. right yeah. i they should go back to it the fundamentals aren't there the the artist doesn't know uh anatomy doesn't know the basics of 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 really like blocking out uh, their drawings and is trying to do things that they're not very good at like perspective and then uh bendis I, I would have to imagine is writing in a lot of cinematic direction that he doesn't understand. <laughs> um, he's, he's not a filmmaker, but he tries to do some very complicated filmmaking techniques in that first volume. Um, and it's, it, it comes off, I was saying to you before we recorded, the one word that I use to describe this first volume is sloppy. Like, it just feels piecemeal, slapdash, and... Uh, it reads as a first draft, especially in those first two issues, because guess what? There's a lot of typos. And that says to me <laughs> that that everybody involved with it was rushing to get it done. Yeah. So uh, that means that Bendis was probably behind, uh, which means that he was probably suffering from some writer's block, which is why the first few issues stall and uh, don't go anywhere. And that's probably why the Deus Ex happens in the in that last issue, where it's like all of a sudden all of our problems are solved by a girl with psychic powers yeah. and the villain confessing and explaining everything in you know three pages. So I <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know when I read noir I expect big things because as I said it's one of my favorite genres. Uh, we've kind of got we. We, uh, Curtis and I reflected on this after the fact that we kind of ended up with three noir books. One very heavy noir, one very light noir influenced with the Turtles stuff. Um, and then another one trying to be noir but not understanding what that means. Uh, because if, there, if, if one thing has to be crystal clear by the time that you're done a noir story, it needs to be like the the MacGuffin mystery of it right like yeah. that 
that really has to 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 come about by the end. I Road to Perdition doesn't really. It's not a who done it sort of thing. It's not a, a that type of a noir, but it does have a revelation on the last few pages that ties the whole thing together yep. and puts it all in perspective. And it's that aha moment, right? Um, and uh, and and Turtles has that. It's in the next volume. <laughs> okay, but I uh, and you know Powers might have there. it too. It might it might have it and you because know, it feels yeah. like it is connected to a larger story. Definitely, and that it's definitely establishing it. Um, what I will say is that sort of along those lines, it's very much a pilot episode of something. Yeah, and a lot of the time, pilot episodes are very rough. Right, and sometimes. They hardly resemble the actual yeah. TV show, right? So, so I I don't know I because because it is coming so highly recommended from so many people. I will give Volume Two a try. Me too. But it's not going to be at the top of my list. There's right. other stuff that's way more important. Yeah. So well, I uh, I borrowed it from the library. Yeah. Volume Two. So because I want to uh, uh, I want to make sure that. If it is decent, I want to mention it next in the next episode. Yes. So yeah, for sure. And then with turtles as well. I mean, I felt the same thing. It's so much of an origin story that not yeah. much happened. So I'm it, eager to actually get past that and into the into the full thing. And that same with powers. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see how see how we come with that. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, that's pretty much it for our our titles this month. But uh, that means that we get to uh, announce our titles for next month. So. What is your pick, Curtis? Well, my pick is a fairly new release. It came out last year called Battling Boy by Paul Pope. And Paul Pope is um, best known for, I think, let's see, he did a Vertigo comic called 100%, and mm-hmm. he also did a Batman, what was it, Batman 1000 or something like that? Year 1000 or 1 million? I can't remember exactly, yeah. but this is um, it's a, a superhero book coming of age about a, a boy who is um sent to I, I guess it's earth to fight his first battle and kind of figure out who he is as, as, as a he comes from a thor type um god type system okay so he's he's a the, the son of a god and um it's just great so it it made a lot of the best of um best of 2013 lists last year so it, and it's well worth a read so i'm passing this along to you so you can have a look cool uh yeah i'm uh, i'm i'm intrigued by it uh you you told me uh, the other day what your choice was and i and i did a quick google search oh good and uh the first thing like the images uh, for the image search came up and i clicked on it and just looked at all the images and i was like yeah i think i'll like this oh one. good yeah he's um, a great artist yeah cool i uh, my pick for this month is uh for next month i should say is uh, ex machina volume one the first hundred days uh, Ex Machina by Brian K. Vaughan is, uh, for those who listened to the first episode, are, are going to know, uh, I, I love it because yeah. it's Brian K. Vaughan. Right. Um, this was actually the second title that I ever read by Brian K. Vaughan, the first being Why the Last Man. Um, and uh, I love this book. It's, it's uh, especially these first few volumes of it are just fantastic. And there's there's a really great... Uh, payoff in this first volume. Oh, good. That's uh, that that really sets the stage for what it's about, um, which is essentially I, I, a real life superhero. It's it's sort of a, a, an interesting 
take on the real life superhero and like kick ass kind of i uh yeah a little bit a little bit but definitely from a more serious and i read this is kind of a political thriller kind of it is so there's there's two it 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 does kind of like a the the lost flashback thing where you've got uh modern or the present day uh where uh your main character uh mitchell hundred is uh, i believe it's mitchell hundred um, I know his last name's Hundred. I can't remember if, it's, if Mitchell is his first name. I haven't read it in a while. Um, he is the mayor of New York, and then uh, you've got the flashbacks to uh, a superhero, and uh, and and the connection between those two characters, and and how each of them gets to where they are, and all of their side characters and buddies that they're with. Um, it's got a great supporting cast, which is something that that uh, character driven comic really needs and uh, it's brian k vaughn so it's great dialogue it's it's a really interesting story or at least it starts that way okay uh, i think i'm up to about volume seven of of like i think there's 11 or 12 volumes oh, wow. and uh it's been done for a while for like a couple of years and i oh, okay. can't be bothered to finish but where i got to is 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 good and then the most recent volume that i have i think is seven or eight kind of starts to drop off but these first five volumes for sure well, awesome. are excellent and sort of set each each volume is very self-contained so uh you can get into it and enjoy it and then kind of drop it when it starts to slow down <laughs> nice. but uh yeah so that's my pick that's great it's actually been sitting on my bookshelf i found a copy for cheap probably about a year ago and i just haven't <laughs> had the reason to read it yet so but now uh, you've got the reason perfect so. Yeah, so that's good. I'm looking forward and, to that. And I've got a reason to reread it, which which makes me happy. So, and our reader poll is from Craig Elliott, and he has suggested Astro City. Yeah, which um, we've kind of all picked um, the unconventional superhero books yeah. here, ones that are, aren't your typical um, your typical superhero. I don't know, whatever. Um, they're all kind of a, a take on it, right? So yeah. these kind of these twists on the, on the superhero genre so now and i've read astro city it was years ago so i'll be mm. uh looking forward to rereading rereading this one it'll be good. i'm really looking forward to it it's it's another one of those titles that is a, a comic shop staple yeah and i i really one of those required readings for any serious comic book nerd especially any serious superhero comic nerd so yeah so i uh, it's been i've been negligent in not reading it thus far okay so uh so i'm really excited to to pick it up and uh and to get into into that good yeah so battling boy ex machina and astro city that sounds like it's going to be a good month yeah yeah uh, good stuff coming uh but that's it for this month's episode thank you guys for listening uh, as always you can find us at pullboxpodcast.com that's our website uh curtis posts quite a bit of stuff actually and and uh and keeps you guys up to date on on our picks and uh and letting you know when you can submit stuff and uh and just sort of some other general comic book stuff and related titles and that sort yep. of thing and we'd love to hear your comments we'd love to be uh in a discussion with you guys online um feel free to yeah give us your thoughts and on all the articles we post or pictures yep. we post and such yeah uh and you can send us emails uh to uh the pullbox podcast at gmail.com uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Pullbox Podcast, and you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com 
slash pullbox podcast and that's all the ways that you can uh, that you can get in contact with us let us know what you thought about the podcast yep. what what you think about our the different titles and uh uh, what you would like us to pick uh, on, on an upcoming episode, so you can send those in anytime. And uh, we like to have we like to have a good uh, uh, stack to choose from, so that when when Curtis and I sort of pick what we're gonna pull, we can we can either pick something that ties into that or something that is completely different from it, yep. um, so that we can have a cool selection for each issue or uh, each episode of the podcast. So uh, thanks for listening, and, uh, and we'll, we'll see you guys next month. Yep, see you later.